Seinfeld, the beard is over, but we're just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap, a podcast about nothing. And now here are the two guys who play for our team, but don't actually get a lot of playing time. I'm Rob Sister. Here's Keith Whitaker. Keith, how are you? Two guys who ride the bench. Riding the bench. <laughs> We're the Scott Pollards of... Uh... Not getting a lot of ABs. No. All right. <laughs> How are you doing, Akiva? Uh, I'm great. I'm great. I'm, you know, it was, it's fun. We had the 100th show. Yeah. We did a Survivor show together. I feel like I've been speaking to you a lot recently. And now this is, you know, I know we were, we've been halfway done for a while, but I feel like this is really the second half of the podcast now that we're done with the first 100 episodes. Yeah. Now we're on the back nine. Yeah, we really are. Even maybe it's like the 11th hole numbers wise, but, you know, here we haven't gotten to a lot of stuff. We haven't, you know, we're about to get to the Susan stuff in a month or two. Yeah, uh, there's you know there's so many like like the 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 email I wrote in last week like so many of the classic things that everyone knows about Seinfeld we haven't even hit yet so we're really just halfway through. Okay, so today we're talking about the beard, which is the 102nd episode of Seinfeld, the 16th episode of season six, and this is an episode where there's a lot going on, but notably uh, George is in episode two of wearing the toupee. Uh, which I think is where the most memorable stuff comes from. Elaine is trying to convert a man who is gay into being in a relationship with her. Also, Jerry is seeing a woman or is uh, at least in the process of dating a police officer and also trying to get over a lie that he does not watch Melrose Place. Yeah, there is a lot going on. There isn't really like a D storyline like we've seen recently in a lot of episodes. Everyone's got something to do. Kramer has like a little bit going on with a homeless guy that uh, he's trying to get his Tupperware back from. And he's uh, in the in the lineups at the police station. Yeah, He has like two D stories, but you add a D and a D together and you get like a C minus. <laughs> yeah. So not a ton of stuff. OK, Akiva, we are coming off of our 100th episode recap, uh, which was a polarizing episode. We're getting a lot of feedback about that. How how what have people been saying to you? You know, I haven't gotten a lot of people agreeing that, you know, that I'm a self-loathing nerd. I don't think really anyone agreed. But people did say, like, you're nerdy. You're a little nerdy. That's you're okay. A little nerdy. You know, I was just taken aback that you said that. I feel like I, feel like I was over it pretty quickly. Okay. I apologize uh, again. But, but I asked my wife, because uh, if you remember, she just came in and said I was uh, a hermit. Uh, a hermit. <laughs> but I said, like, you know, of course, you couldn't just answer the yes or no question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, like, but, I, you know, I want you. You could answer. You know what? My feelings won't be hurt. Am I a nerd? No. And she thought about it for a while and she said no. Okay, good. So not a nerd. One in the not nerd you know, column. Yeah, I think my wife, if she was the one to allege that I was a nerd, she would say yes. But if she heard somebody else called me a nerd, I think she would be like... Uh, she would have your back. I think so. But, no, but, this, I don't think this was a case of her having my back. I but, think this was... I would add that my wife, I feel like, is often just looking for a fight with people. So if this would be like, hey, here's a new person that you could fight with. She's like, all right, let's go. Where are they? Let me add them. Really, one of the things they don't tell married people, like married men, that that is so useful is like if your wife is really mad at someone else, she won't be mad at you. She will direct her anger to that other person, whether it's like her friend who wronged her or like a relative or an in-law, you know, like if you could just direct their anger or like a Kardashian, if you could direct their anger anywhere else, then you're in the clear for as long as they're mad at that person. Yeah. And what's also good is that she's in like a series of like Facebook groups. And then uh, those tend to have her pretty much just like wound up around the clock. What kind of what kind of groups are getting around up? L.A. mommy uh, Facebook groups. 
Like she's in, uh, like looking and then like, can you believe what they said now? Look at this. Look at this. Look at what they said. My wife said stuff like that. First, I know there's a lot of stroller shaming. There's right. Like these stroller groups that if you post like an ugly stroller, they block you and kick you out of the group. <laughs> right. You have to have like your stroller has to cost at least four figures. And then there's like the there's a lot of overshares. My wife will be like, could you believe that she, this lady just like, you know, use her name and she's like, you know, telling stuff about, you know, there's a lot of oversharing. Also, uh, like random people's Facebook status updates will often just incense her. So you don't even have to like start a fight like, hey, do you know, like my mom is coming next month and, you know, get mad at her now. No, no. You don't have to do stuff like that. You'd literally you could just have a Facebook status and you're in the clear. Right. She's not going to be mad at you. That's like, pretty good. Some random person could post a Facebook status update of, oh, my two-year-old is so good that I love being a mom. Like, what? What, what, what is she saying? What is she you saying? You know what you have to do now? Right. You have to make some, like, fake accounts <laughs> and post, like, anytime you don't want her to be mad at you. Just right. Post. I have to catfish my wife yes. with this <laughs> other person who can always, but I don't know why my wife would be friends with this person. Well, she could just write in the group. <laughs> And they're like, you know, make sure that like when when you see your wife in there, just like tag her so that she knows. There. So like, what what would I'm get her to post? F- How about this? Like, <laughs> having two kids is even easier than having one kid. I right, bet that would set it off. Right. Uh, you know, I find the most important thing about mom is making sure I have you know quality time to spend with my husband. Like, what? <laughs> why, why would somebody say that? Yeah. How about this? If like my husband and my kids were drowning, I would jump over my kids to save my husband. Yeah. I think the the best thing that a husband could do is podcast from the house because that really <laughs> that that would make me so happy. <laughs> My husband works from home, but I never see him. He doesn't help. Yeah, it's the best. It's the best of both worlds. <laughs> he quit his job as a major Hollywood screenwriter to do this. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. I don't even mind if he leaves dishes in, in the sink. Okay. Uh, let's get into talking about uh, the beer. Any, any news? Any updates? The only thing, and I, I'll, I'm more, I'm more ask for some help here. We talked about this like a month or two ago that the Jay Peterman company is bringing back the Urban Sombrero oh, and some other Jay Peterman stuff. Good. So he started a Kickstarter. So uh, do you want to guess of the five hundred thousand dollars he's trying to raise? How much he's raised so far? Uh, two thousand. Yeah, sixty-eight hundred. Okay, and it's not clear how much uh, the, the actor is really in on this. He's not in. I thought he was in all the promotions for it, but you don't see anything about uh, John O'Hurley in the, um, like on the Kickstarter itself. And I can't tell if it's like prank. So maybe if some of the listeners could look at this, you know, Kickstarter, uh, the urban sombrero, and it may be like a joke. I don't know. Like it wasn't posted on April 1st, but it just seems so ridiculous. Like the things that they're trying to, to bring back are the urban sombrero, mm-hmm. a mod flapper dress, that it's like a 20s women's dress mm-hmm. and a cafe racer motos- motorcycle jacket from the 70s and some like other super weird things. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so if someone can see if we're being catfished here. <laughs> so they have like all these things. You could get a you get a, a Seinfeld script signed by John O'Hurley and Jay Peterman. Why would I want the real Jay Peterman to sign my Seinfeld script? I don't know. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's talk about the beard and uh, let's get into this. Of course, this episode is written by Carol Leifer. How about that? You sure it's not Leifer? <laughs> I'm we say. haven't established that. i'm gonna i'm gonna tweet at her after this and uh i don't know if she'll come on the podcast she's verified she's like important but i bet she'd answer if it's leaf or life actually i think in the in the dvd you could probably hear her say her name do the people in the dvd extras often introduce themselves like hey no, i'm Peter actually Melman, they probably and, uh, never do yeah. they would have to be referred to as their full name i think so and, and i'm and, sure and, if i went through every single extra again i could find it but i, I don't know if i'm going to commit to doing that okay we'll see if we if that shows up 
No DVD extras on this other than a deleted scene for the beard. But we end up with Jerry talking about the wanted poster, uh, which I thought was pretty funny in the opening stand up about how the wanted poster, if you're basically not the person behind him, then there's really nothing he can do with the wanted poster. Yeah, because think about how many, especially back in the days, if you're in like the Wild West, Mm -hmm. think about how many wanted posters there are. You really need like a Rolodex of like faces in your, you're like, hey, what are you going to do? Like, are you the guy? Like, no, he's going to shoot you if he's really the guy. Right. I am surprised that the wanted poster really has not kept up with the times. Like, I'm surprised that there isn't some sort of like wanted poster Tinder type thing where you could just sort of like swipe through all of the different people that they're looking for right now. And you're looking to date one of these guys? No, I'm not, I don't want to date them. I just want to <laughs> no. sort of like, no, I haven't seen this person. I haven't seen this person. And they probably haven't. Yeah, but there's no database. It's more like they'll post it on, on the news and maybe on like they'll tweet it or put it on Facebook. Right, but we should have right. this on your phone. Wouldn't you flip through but that again, every once that in a while? But again, doesn't that like defeat the purpose of like, there are things like that. Like if you, when I lived in the city, this is scary. When you live in the city, uh, I guess you live anywhere, but when you live in the city, there's so many, you have so many like neighbors that they'll they'll tell you like how many like child molest like how many sex offenders there yeah, are like within, Megan's law type stuff sure within like x number of blocks from you right but if you live in Manhattan like there's going to be a dozen walking distance right but they don't still, do you see the pictures of all of them yeah you usually get the pictures and like and they have like descriptions of the crime which you can't even read they're like too disgusting yeah but it, you know then it's like I would read that I'm like okay never going outside again <laughs> right like I think I've seen that guy before and and they're not like these guys are not like wanted by Johnny Law these are like they served 15 years and now they're out, you know, waiting to commit their next crime or whatever. Right. All right. Well, let's not get too, uh, <laughs> too, too, should... too hot of a take here. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, we end up with uh, Jerry and Elaine are eating some Chinese food and we find out Elaine is bad at chopsticks. How are you? You good, you good with sticks? Uh, yeah. I also, I don't, I don't use, I don't use chopsticks. Yeah. I'm, I, I just, at this point I've given up and I use fork. Okay. So we get introduced to some of the exposition here in this episode. Elaine has ballet tickets. She is going to the ballet with a guy who's sort of like a, uh, like a friend of a friend who is gay and he works for a bank, which is very conservative and he needs Elaine to play his girlfriend when he's going to Swan Lake at the Met with his boss, Akiva. So just at first blush, how is this storyline? Does this hold up in 2016? I mean, I don't, it definitely not like you wouldn't, there's no such thing as like a company. I mean, maybe there is, but maybe would, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to, Get into too much trouble by speculating what kind of company it would be, but I, I feel like a, a a a you know a regular like for profit Manhattan company. There's no way you're gonna be nervous. Your boss thinks you're gay. I don't think that holds up. Yeah, I don't think so either. I'm sure that we'll touch on this. Not saying that there was anything wrong with this episode in 1995, uh, but I think this this episode was probably viewed as progressive in 1995. Yeah, but. In terms of if you were going to do this on in 2016, like you, you, you couldn't make this episode without like the, the boss seeming like a huge villain. Right. And episode. even in this episode, like it's pretty clear the boss knows it. And and, you know, Elaine is just, you know, the guy just assumes that no one knows. Mm-hmm. All right. So Kramer comes in and there's a little talk about George and his toupee. Kramer is very pro toupee. Elaine is a uh, very anti toupee and they debate how George is looking. How do you think that George looks with the toupee? Do you agree with Kramer that he's very good looking now? It takes a while to get used to him, but yeah, I think he, I think this has improved his look. 
Yeah. Do you think when Jason Alexander was a young man, do you think that, and with a, assuming he had a full head of hair, do you think that he was often thought of as handsome? Was he a, a coveted young stud? It's a good question. I mean, he's not like the, he's, his build having nothing to do with his hair isn't exactly like the you know the dreamy type like brian cranston sure for instance like we can almost see like brian cranston when we see him in these episodes like oh yeah look at there's a hunky brian cranston was there ever a hunky jason alexander i mean it's a good question i i I, listen he he was on like a network television show so your face has to be unless the joke is that you're really ugly Mm -hmm. like your face has to you know you have to have like an attractive enough face yeah. So was he ever a super stud? I don't think so. But I feel like he was a he was a decent guy. Okay. So George is going to buzz up, and he says something very unusual when he buzzes up. He says, "Get it on with your bad self." When he's buzzing up there. <laughs> yeah, that's a clear hammer time thing. Yeah. I think Deion Sanders used to say that a lot. I feel like. <laughs> All right. So he basically By the way, this is peak Deion Sanders time, nineteen ninety five. Yeah. Is that it? Like, it's amazing he doesn't even come on the show. Okay, but didn't we establish on the last on the one hundredth episode that we were not going to talk about Hammer Time anymore? I can only I'll listen. I think Hammer Time is just about over, but mm-hmm. I'm not fully willing. To, you know, people <laughs> like it when when you throw out the hits. Like if you go to a Guns N' Roses concert and they don't play Sweet Child of Mine, like you'll be mad. Mm-hmm. If you go to like five of them and they play it four times, you won't be mad they didn't play it the fifth time. But I feel like if I completely stop cold turkey then you know we'll, we'll get some hate mail yeah all right so george is back and he's wearing the toupee and he's looking really smug and elaine says you look ridiculous in that thing and he says to elaine hey maybe you just missed the boat and now george has passed elaine on the look like he's too good for her yeah yeah so maybe he's just she's upset but why is elaine so upset about the toupee like you know she's not just saying like ah, you know i'm not crazy about the thing like she seems like violently offended by it I'll tell you why Why I think we've established like in season six, this is Elaine's hot mess season, right? Mm-hmm. She's, you know, she, her, this is the worst she's doing professionally. You know, she's basically a personal assistant, which is a huge downgrade from what she used to be. Mm-hmm. And I feel like misery loves company. So if like she's down and George is up, like her mind can't even process that. Yeah. So interestingly, yeah, I do think that there's something to that where I think that George feels like he has passed Elaine in her station and she's like, no, 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 no. You are at the bottom of the pecking order. You are not ahead of me. And I think that where he's saying now, hey, because with my personality and this head of hair, I'm a whole different person. I'm in the game now. Right. And I'm basically an executive for the Yankees. (laughs) Right. Right. So and Kramer is vouching. He's saying that, yeah, he's in the game now. He's going to set him up with this woman, uh, Denise. Yeah, this is absurd. Yeah. Which part of it? He doesn't have a picture of her. Mm-hmm. So instead of sort of like inviting her to monks yeah. and George can make his assessment there. And if he likes her, say, hey, set us up. And if he doesn't like her, nothing ever happens. Yes. Let's go sketch a picture of her. Mm-hmm. Sure. Why can't he just explain what she looks like? <laughs> well, now George has so many options of who to date that now for him. Yeah, but the, why is he wasting his time going to the police station and looking at a sketch of this woman? Right. Now, this is 100% something that could not possibly happen in 2016. That there is no person that you'd be setting them up with and there is no picture, there is no Facebook profile, there is no Instagram, you can't Google image search them. This would be complete just throw this story in the garbage. For the most part. I do have, you know, when we mentioned that Super Bowl picture a few weeks ago, one of my friends in there is not on Facebook, he's not on any social media, he's barely on email 
and there are no pictures. Like, I happen to have posted the picture on my Twitter, so that could be the first picture of him that's ever been posted on the internet. Why? Why is he in such he's a... Like, uh, he's, like, uh, he's like kind of a rabbi. He's like ultra-Orthodox. like okay. Orthodox. All right, well, sure. I, I guess there are isolated incidents. Right, but there's probably a lot of Amish people also. Right. Who, <laughs> so, anyway, so they have a friend, Lou, who is a police sketch artist, and they're going to go to the police station, and they're going to sketch this woman. Great idea. <laughs> It is a fun, like, if you're, if you're losers who have nothing to do all day, it is kind of a funny idea. Sure, and I guess the police have no crimes to solve or anything like no, that. No, no, it's the 1990s in Manhattan. Everything is fine. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Kramer wants to take the Chinese food to a homeless person, Akiva. Does it make any sense? You have Chinese food, which is in its own container. Why on earth would you take Chinese food from the container that it comes in and put it in Tupperware to give it to a homeless person. I mean, Kramer says it doesn't stay. Let's say that the homeless what person... What doesn't stay? Chinese food? He said that nothing... St- like, Tupperware... Things stay better in Tupperware. Here's here's what I think. Sure. What if the homeless man just had a bagel? Someone just gave him a bagel. So he's going to hold this. You know, he has to hoard food for his next meal sometimes, right? So what if he's like, okay, this is my dinner. But if it's just in the thing... It might go, you know, in, in, the, in the Chinese, like, little, you know, carton, it's going to go bad. But in the Tupperware, it might stay for an extra hour or two where you can eat it for dinner. This is a very first world homeless problem of I'm so full. I have so much food. I want to save this world. other food it's saving for, for later. Your, you went on Survivor. Do you just eat all your food and hope more comes to you? <laughs> Or yes. do you have a little rice for lunch and a little rice for dinner? <laughs> What's the And then it's not going to be hot later? This is at least a second world problem, Rob. <laughs> the, the best part about Chinese food, it wasn't, it, it would make sense if like Jerry had cooked all this food and was like, hey, can I give it to a homeless person? Sure. How are we going to carry it? Chinese food comes in a container. I hear you. And it is more fun to eat out of that container, honestly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. So Kramer gives the Tupperware to the homeless person. Also, the home Kramer does not say to the homeless man, "Hey, I'm going to need that Tupperware back." He says to him, "Hey, you're going to be here in an hour." And the homeless man says, "Where am I going?" Uh, yeah, but he never said. But he never specifies that he wants the Tupperware back. He just right. asks him if right. he's going to be there in an hour. Okay. All right. So we go to the police station and we get to meet Lou. The sketch artist, and we're seeing uh, basically how the Seinfeld gang is completely taking over the police station. Uh, yeah, it's like bring your idiot friend to work day. <laughs> and so uh, Jerry catches a female police officer and uh, that they're going to introduce him to her. Sergeant Tierney is her name. You want some amazing Sergeant Tierney fact? Yes. This is one of my favorite of the whole series because not a lot of people have come up with this one. So the actress who plays Sergeant Tierney uh who's uh, i think i think her first name is kathy yes uh and her and Catherine. uh it's funny Ro- robert in this episode is played by by a guy named robert and kathy's played by Catherine. Catherine and nasa okay so she uh she's been married three times okay the first time she was married she was the fourth wife of dennis hopper okay the second time she was married she was married to french stewart <laughs> oh the third time she was married and currently she married grant show oh Amazing. Who is what? From Melrose Place. From Melrose Place. <laughs> the Melrose Place lie detector lady, 20 years later, married one of the main stars of Melrose Place. That has to be because that, that was like her opening line, right? That was the icebreaker. And, you know, I should have asked her. I didn't come up with this till right before the podcast. She's I, I can see on Twitter. She's very like open to like sometimes people mention Seinfeld and she'll be like, 
Hey, I was on Seinfeld. You ever see that episode? So I feel like she will respond, but I'm going to have to wait for next. That had to have been like, hey, that's an insane coincidence, though. No, it can't be a coincidence. Find out. Find out for next week. Okay, I will. Okay. So uh, we go back to the homeless guy and Kramer wants the Tupperware back. The homeless person says, no, you can't have it. Yeah, I mean, there's some pretty easy ways for Kramer to get it back. Say, no, I want to give it back because I'm going to go home and fill it with more food for you. And then just never <laughs> see him oh, again. Listen, listen, the guy's stealing from you. You could steal back from him. Yeah. Well, we'll bets are off. <laughs> All right. So we go to Elaine at the ballet with Robert. And uh, so Robert gets up and Elaine is asked some questions about this relationship. And Elaine I feel like that really flounders here under a very light interrogation uh, that she's talking about how, well, you know, he's not exactly a one woman man. But then she gets into talking about how he really loves uh, Liza Minnelli. I mean, did you find Elaine convincing here? No, she really. I mean, I think we're supposed they're showing us that the boss and the boss's wife don't buy it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, but yeah, she's she does crack under the pressure here. <laughs> When he comes back, then Elaine like basically like shoves her tongue down this guy's throat. Yeah, I don't know if that was part of the deal. Yeah, yeah. part of being the beard is like uh, <laughs> very for very forward beard. Yeah, it's like a it's like a full beard with a mustache. <laughs> so Sorry. the next day at Monks, uh, Elaine and Jerry are talking about this, and she's talking about what a great job she did, and you know she's really just harping on this, and she seems smitten, and Jerry picks up on this. Yeah, she keeps talking about him. Uh, yeah, she's clearly in love. Yes. And some people just want what they can't have. They want what they can't have. And so uh, Jerry has a line where he says, then we discover another talent uh, posing as a girlfriend for homosexuals. And she's really, you know, keeps going on about it. And Elaine is sort of like, yeah, but. And Jerry talks about for the first time this episode conversion. Are you thinking about a conversion? And I just I remember like watching this episode the first time it was on and really thinking that it was pretty uh, like almost like revolutionary, like, uh, you know, like, wow, I can't believe they're talking about this. And it seemed like so forward. It's very forward. I do think that in 2016, I think most people would say that this is a flawed premise because I think that maybe the mindset of the show and a lot of people in 1995 is that for Robert, he picked, I want to be gay. I want to play for that team. I have the option, which team should I play for? I'm playing for this team where I feel like in 2016, I feel like most people would say that, he did not have this choice that he was born onto the team that he plays for. Sure. Uh, so it's like free agency versus the draft. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yes, he is drafted uh, onto his team. And, uh, the, you know, there's no you don't hit free agency after six years. Now, certainly it's the it's basically the opposite of real sports, which went from <laughs> from like you have to be with this team forever till free agency, whereas here. We're, we're, we're going backwards, but, right. but and, going forwards. <laughs> and there are many, many other complicated scenarios which do not fit into this metaphor. <laughs> but we're yes. trying to correct <laughs> the 1995 metaphor from Seinfeld. Who is Kurt Flood? <laughs> is Ellen Kurt Flood? <laughs> Who's A-Rod? <laughs> no, well, I'm not going to. I don't hate anybody enough to make them A-Rod. <laughs> A-Rod is A-Rod. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so... That they start talking about this idea of switching sides, switching teams. Uh, Jerry is the first person who mentions uh, he likes his team. He's set with his team. 
Yeah. And you know what I was thinking about this also? It's like, if you're Elaine, if you want, obviously, like if you want someone to switch because you don't like their team, then that's not okay in 2016. Mm -hmm. But if you just want them to switch because you want to be with them so badly, is that like offensive? I don't, I don't think that's offensive, right? You're just like, you might not be able to get your way. I but think it's, it's sort of a compliment, right? It is a compliment. But if I someone think, was like, oh, man, I wish that you played for your team, Akiva, I would be like, wow, that's like the nice thing anybody's ever said right, to me. Right. You people, must be blind. People aren't <laughs> saying that to us. <laughs> no, for sure not. Uh, but I, while it is complimentary, it does speak to, I think, a misunderstanding of the other person where... Okay. Uh, I do think that, you know, there, and maybe there are some people who are playing for both teams at different and and maybe uh, Elaine, again, is is trying to uh, perhaps see if maybe that he is one of the uh, one of those uh, types of people. But can you make a split squad analogy there? Or no, I don't think so. I don't okay. think so. <laughs> OK, I don't know if you're a bisexual person. I, I don't know. Like, so maybe there's some maybe like I think that the, the best way you could spin this is mm-hmm. that for Elaine, she's saying, well, maybe, you know, uh, I know he's gay, but maybe he's bisexual. Okay, yeah. She doesn't say that. I feel like that would that would almost be too hot a take for... Probably for, too uh, hot a take for 1995, but I feel like yes. that maybe if you were going to do this story sure, in yeah, 2016... Yeah, that makes sense now. I agree. Then that might be what you would say. Yeah, I agree. Okay, uh, so now Jerry introduces this idea of that they're only comfortable with their equipment. That's the that's the idea. Well, yeah, there, it is a theme during the episode where it's like, how could we compete with someone who knows who, who owns the equipment versus mm-hmm. someone who, you know, who's just a fan, which I also think is another failed premise uh, that does not hold up with time, because I think that the show here in this episode, what it basically says is a person is gay because only another man could uh manipulate my genitals in a way that is satisfactory to me and a woman who does not have access to the equipment can't do it as good that's why i'm gay right so i think that that is another idea while it is funny in the metaphor i also don't think that that holds up either yeah we almost we we almost sort of had a special correspondent for this episode (laughs) right right uh so that's the thing so jerry has a really good line that he says after elaine talks about how they get along so great that jerry says yeah of course everybody gets along great when there's no possibility of sex akiva is that why i get along well with so many people (laughs) i thought you were gonna say something totally different yes no um yeah yeah, uh no listen you're just a nice guy you get along with everyone yeah (laughs) i guess so (laughs) all right so Elaine is saying she's going to go forward with this. So we will see more on this. All right. So Jerry's on the phone back in his apartment talking to Sergeant Tierney about whether or not she's going to bring her gun on the date. Uh, they agree that she will not. Uh, it also is like, I feel I would be, I would be interesting to hear. I, I, I don't think we've had a volunteer for our cop. Uh, you know, first of all, if you're on duty, then you have your gun. And if you aren't, you probably don't. Right. Yeah. Um, well, it depends. Are you coming right from war? I mean, you. That, I think that there are a lot of people who do are off-duty police officers and do that. Do, did your uh, Did your dad carry a gun when he wasn't at work? I don't believe so. You know, my dad was Were very. You, let me ask you. Actually, yes. Was it? You know, we grew up on the island, which which I, I think you can have guns, but it's not really gun country mm-hmm. per se. 
Was it scary having a dad with a gun? No, because my dad was. He would very, never. Would he ever joke like, "Oh boy, you really better clean up your room." No, no, no. My dad was very, very, you know, private and secretive about, you know, that he had a gun for the for the, you know, we never saw so it. You didn't, you didn't like know where he kept it. Didn't or know where he kept. Like, uh, I couldn't even tell you. Uh, he didn't, you know, that he was very, he was very, very like secretive and private about, about it. Like we never, we never knew about it or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tara from Long Island, I believe has, uh, is a retired, uh, police Oh yeah. I think officer. she maybe volunteered to be our, we need, we need Tara to, uh, yeah. And I actually have some questions for her about the lineup when we get to that point in terms of uh, how that how that ultimately what a crazy works. concept. Yeah, we'll talk about that soon. Okay, so Kramer comes in. He wants Tupperware because it has the patented burp uh, because he made a casserole and he can't just put it in a plastic bag. And so uh, Kramer is really hurting after the homeless guy will not give back the Tupperware. Yeah, because you can't just go buy some Tupperware in Manhattan. Right. So here comes George. He has had a great conversation with Denise on the phone and uh, that things are going really well with her, that they're going to get to the point where they're going to meet. Yeah, I also like the back and forth he has with with Kramer, which is a fair question. Like, if she's so amazing and so beautiful, why, you know, how come you didn't date her? Yeah. How come nothing happened with you guys? And Kramer says, who says it didn't? Yeah, which is like, you see, you like, you see like George's whole mind race in that two <laughs> seconds where it's like, oh boy, this is like Kramer's seconds, no thanks. But it's like, oh, whatever, it's a beautiful woman. There's nothing I could do. <laughs> okay, so Jerry wants to know, did you tell her about your description? And he prized, did you tell her about your hat? Uh, George did not. What is the etiquette here? If you are a man who wears a toupee, um. Are you compelled to tell a woman that you wear a toupee? It's tricky. I mean, we discussed this a little bit two weeks ago on the show where where, you know, George basically says, oh, I'm never going to let the girl know. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that in general, toupee could just be a metaphor here for anything. Like if you, you know, if you uh, the longer you keep this secret, the bigger of a deal it will be to reveal it in a relationship, Mm -hmm. you know, whether you're dating the person or not. So I feel like. It's a weird, th- you don't want to come over, to come off too forward, right? So you never want to say something like that on the first date. Yes. But I feel like date number three, it's got to happen. <sighs> yeah, it's a good, it's a good question in terms of that. Like, I do feel like, are there, are there a lot of people that are, I, like, I, I kind of feel like that um, something like a hair plug uh, I don't think that you have to tell somebody. Like, I feel like that's something that's like a permanent. What, what if you're going to be married to the person? Like, how do you keep up the charade forever? I just don't do that many people wear an actual removable hair piece. I think people do. And and like, they're probably also generally people who would be very sensitive about it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people would just be like, oh, hell, I'm bald. What am I going to do? I just feel like. They also is, have like the Propecia now. Right. right? I feel Which like the is, technology has, has gotten better where I feel like there's sure. less removable stuff. Right. I don't have to tell you that I use Propecia. Like, you know, it'll just if it no. stops working or my hair goes away, it goes away. I don't think that, you know, I, it might, I don't know why, how I'm going to hide the Propecia in, in the medicine cabinet or whatever, but I'm sure mm-hmm. there's ways. Right. Uh, I think it does become more and more complicated as you start getting to other like, uh, like, uh, you know, body augmentation type surgery and things like that, where if something is a like... I don't know if you're like at what point you're compelled, if ever, to say to that. If I got uh, calf implants, Akiva, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, at what point am I dating someone? Oh, I, the problem is that no matter when you mention it, date one or uh, five years into your marriage, I think that's a deal breaker. So deal breaker. I think just don't mention it. 
Just get a prenup. <laughs> you ever seen these guys that get like muscle implants? Like I don't really know what calf implants look like. I don't want to knock them. I feel like you know, but also it's not just like physical things. Like you know, I, like I'm a sports fan to the to the point where it like affects my life because I'll watch like mm-hmm. I'll need to watch like some random soccer game on a Tuesday night. So when I started dating my wife, it's like, well, if I really reveal to her the level of sports fan I am, that's probably like a big turnoff for someone who hates sports. And would maybe want to spend time with me. Yes. But you can only hide it for so long. The craziest story of like never telling someone that I know is a kid I went to college with married a girl. And again, like this is we grew up in a religious environment. So it's a little bit more of uh, like a really old school traditional like get set up and maybe you date for six months and then you get married and the parents might be involved as opposed to like meeting, you know, just in in a normal place. So there was less time. But when they got married, like a few days into the marriage. He found out that she's a vegetarian. Oh. And that she just pretended to eat. Like, she would even sometimes order, like, a chicken or whatever, but she wouldn't eat it. And her parents told her, like, oh, no boy is going to want to marry a vegetarian, so don't don't tell him. And obviously, that in and of itself is not a deal breaker, but it's probably a bad sign. And I believe they only la- their marriage lasted a, a few months. But yeah. Just marriage like, built a, on like, lies. Yeah. It's not what you want to do. You want to <laughs> get married and then start lying. You don't want to lie beforehand. Okay. All right. So uh, they end up with uh, George just defending his toupee. Are people staring at it? George says that they're staring because they like what they see. Uh, Jerry fights him on that. And so uh, Kramer says, no way. Don't tell her about it. Don't take it off. That, you know, if you were going to tell her that you were bald or show her your bald head, I would never introduce you to, to Denise. Yeah, Kramer's really pro the the hair, you know, George with hair. It's crazy. Yeah. All right. So they all decide to go back to the police station because uh, that uh, Kramer is going to have lunch with his friend Lou and Jerry wants to go see the uh, Sergeant Tierney again. And as they're walking, and again, I don't know, where, are they walking to where you get the cab or they did they get dropped off a couple blocks away from the police station? But <laughs> the Kramer ends up putting money in the cup of the homeless guy where he says he feels bad about the Tupperware thing, which is weird because Kramer did not seem to feel bad. Did Kramer intentionally put a dirty nickel or whatever into a full cup of the homeless man's coffee on purpose? Oh, definitely. He definitely did. Oh, no question. Yeah, yeah, Okay. There is something very interesting, and you mentioned Carol Leifer, slash Leifer, wrote this episode, and it's not her only episode, but the tone in this episode is a little different than the tone in almost every other episode. I don't know if you noticed this. No, in what way? I don't know. Just even something like this, like Kramer sort of being wacky in a in like a in a slightly more malicious way. Mm-hmm. Like here, like because because you didn't realize it probably because it's so unkramer like to do, but it's almost definitely what he did that he intentionally drops the coin in the. I don't know why you assume a nickel. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest coin, I guess. <laughs> I guess uh, so. in in uh, in in the in the coffee because a homeless man. To have a hot cup of coffee, you would think that this would be an except, and maybe, and maybe I am, you know, underestimating, you know, what the daily life of the homeless are. But I feel like a cup of hot coffee to the homeless guy on maybe a cold day is probably, you know, a uh, ten times better than to have it, you know, for somebody who is just like going about their daily business. And so here he is. He finally has this hot cup of coffee. And here's Kramer putting dirty change in the guy's coffee. I mean, it seems like a horrible thing to do to somebody. Yeah, not nice. Very not nice. And so now Kramer uh, says, hey, I really feel sorry about the other day. Really sorry. 
So you think? Yeah, but he's like he's like he's being camp. He's playing up the really being very facetious. Okay. All right. So hey, here there's my coffee. That's what the guy says. All right. So they go to the police station. They say, Hey, Kramer, you want to make a quick fifty bucks? Uh, Some of these decoys from the lineup are out, and we need to uh, see if you want to do this. Yeah. Are you are you a Usual Suspects fan? The movie. (laughs) I've seen it a few times back in the nineties, but I've not seen it recently because these scenes do feel a little Usual Suspectsy. You know that you're sort of like in the in this lineup room, and I I wanted to see if this was a parody because there have been a bunch of like TV and movie parodies uh, in season five and six, and um, crazily enough, the usual suspects came out like in the film festival in Sundance, basically the week before this aired. Okay, but because it's Sundance and and it's not like the type you know there was no there was no trailer on YouTube in 1995. It's just a coincidence. There's no way this is based on the usual suspect. No, yeah, I think it's just a coincidence. But it just feels like it. And the fact that they were released essentially the same week is, is just uh, is ironic. But that's it. Yeah. Now, do you think that they really paid people $50 to stand in the lineup? I mean, especially with the conversion. I mean, that's probably like 75 bucks right now. Each guy in the lineup is making 75 bucks uh, in, you know, in, or just even 50. So basically, yeah, 50 is high. I, I, I actually have a decent answer to this question, I think. Good. The, what is it? There's a great New York Times article like two years ago about a guy in the Bronx whose job it is to wrangle um I'll post this in the links in the in the comments to this article his job is basically to, he's like a like a small time ex-con and his main job is he works for the police station and they'll say like hey we need six you know white males who are 6 foot 1 to 6 foot 2 and a little heavy set like he you know so he has to corral you know four or five of these fake guys in the in the you know we need three really short women Mm-hmm. You know, to, uh, like, and so that's his job, and he pays them. So I don't think they all get paid. I think maybe he gets paid, and maybe he gives them like a small stipend. So then there would definitely were numbers in there. So I don't have the answer in front of me, but we can't. There is an answer to that, and uh, and also it's like you want to be on the good side of the police. So you do this, and they like you, and maybe the next time they see you, they just give you a warning on something. I mean, how many lineups a day are the police doing? It seems like that yeah, they are just hammering like lineups money. are so outdated. They should be doing like one lineup a month, right? Hmm. Like, do they do a lineup for every single perp who's like, you know, I, 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 like how often the lineups come into play? I don't even know. Yeah, it's a good question. How often are they doing lineups at this point in time? And it's definitely less often than it was 25 years ago. I guess so. I guess so. That's, that sounds right, but I don't necessarily know why. I, don't know I will how do you a would, deep dive on police lineups for next week. Like, do you think that maybe is there like instead of a lineup, is there like some sort of like Tinder like app that we can show people like when they say, OK, I'm going to show you six people now. You're really okay, obsessed with Tinder. Well, I, I'm just using it as an, like an example of, OK, swipe through these six pictures Okay, who is the person who was the attacker? Can you identify the perp? Yeah, that is a good idea. You don't even have to bring them in. You just take a picture of them on the street or whatever. I mean, especially if we're paying each guy 50 bucks. Yeah, it's very... But listen, here's the thing. You ask the 50 bucks. When it's the government's money, people always find a way to waste it. Yeah, and we could even show them like five other mugshots of people. We don't even sure. need to be paying anybody to be, that's, uh, that's you know, perp models. Right. And then you have the system. Listen, we shouldn't we should cut this out of the podcast. We could like patent this. Stuff. <laughs> I don't know. I'd be interested to know. We what sell this to every police station in the world. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's no one's ever thought about this before. We're going to revolutionize uh, law enforcement. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're going to go on Shark Tank next week, Rob. We've got the Tinder. Of police lineups. Yeah, you could listen to the Shark Tank rehab up on reality TV rehab ups now. Yeah, but hopefully those guys will give us a a good review, even if like they even if like Mark Cuban laughs at us. Yes, 
All right. So there's some physical comedy of Kramer turning the wrong way. Uh, what do you think of Kramer in the lineup? Yeah, he does pretty well. Again, because he, do, he has the small story, they give him a couple smaller things like the homeless man bit and the lineup thing. But, he, you know, he makes a meal out of nothing like he frequently does. Michael Richards. OK, so we end up with George in Monks. He's waiting for the woman to come in. He's saying to himself in his head, there she is, just like in that picture. And then uh, she sits down like, are you George? He says, yes. And she's wearing a bonnet on her head. And he says, hey, why don't you, uh, you know, sit down, get comfortable, you know, stay a while. She takes her hat off and we see a look of horror on George's face. Yeah. And we didn't see the sketch, right? We never see the sketch in the police station. No, no. So, you know, we don't know, like, what they did with her hair. And I guess she wasn't bald when Kramer knew her, right? Mm-hmm. Unless he's just a liar and like, oh, I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, I think uh, we don't and we don't know why she's bald either. Like, they make fun of it, but who knows? She could have shaved it for chemotherapy. Oh, that's a great point, which is not even brought up in the episode. Yeah, but but let's say she wasn't. Although I mean, who, it does, you know, we just went through this with the John Lovitz character. I know that's that the true. That's true. Yeah, 100th it's, it's episode much the was only, yeah. And then it's, is she faking? Could she fake it? Could she be like, whatever? Yeah, we're taking name? the episode yeah. in a totally different direction here, though. Right, right. I mean, who were, like, the, who were the famous bald women then? I think it was just like Sinead O'Connor, no? <laughs> Uh, I think we've been through this before. The uh, what was it? Her name? Sandra. We've Pest. been through the famous Powder, bald women yeah. list. Yeah, I think I think we've talked about oh, this. We've done uh, Susan. Like, we've Powder. done everything at this point. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't know. And then you talked about that you don't know who that is. Yeah, we're just playing the hits, guys. At now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've done the famous bald women. List. Francesca Hoagie. Yeah, she wasn't. She wasn't really big. T- she wasn't like Today Show big yet. Right. Not at this point. But so. Yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a good point about, you know, if we talk start talking about, like, did she have cancer, then it's uh it's going in a whole different direction. All right. So let's go back to the police station. Here's Jerry talking with Sergeant Tierney. I think uh, we have potentially one of the most awkward segues in the entire 180 episodes of Seinfeld. We have where Jerry is talking to Sergeant Tierney and, and oh, here's a polygraph. You know, it's a lie detector. Uh, and Jerry says a very a joke, which is really not funny, uh, which he says, uh, let me ask you, when someone is lying, is it true their pants are really on fire? Which seems to be his like his like, uh, you know, pickup line for women seems to be a really corny joke. Always. Right, right. Very flirty line. And her her response to that is, if I could tell you the famous faces that have been up here, a certain cast member of Melrose Place. Now, that is a terrible segue, but I don't even think it's the worst segue in the episode <laughs> because... In Jerry's apartment, when they say, what does she look like? Well, I don't have a picture of her, but we can go to the police station and draw it, (laughs) is even crazier than this. Yeah, it's a real leap of faith, too. You you can almost tell what they decided the episode was about before they sat down and wrote a word. (laughs) Well, I do think that that's typically how that process works. Yeah, but here it's like they're really stretching to make everything connected. (laughs) All right. So that she starts talking about Melrose Place. Have you seen the show? Jerry says, no, no, uh, I have not seen Melrose Place. And they said, hey, Lou, should we put him up on the poly? (laughs) The poly. Okay. And so Jerry is busted. We go back to Jerry's apartment and we see him talking to Elaine about Melrose Place. And Elaine wants to know, uh, I didn't know you watched Melrose Place. Why didn't you ever say anything? And he says, because he was embarrassed. Could have been discussing Sydney and Michael and Jane. Did you watch Melrose Place? No, I, I think I might have even tried it a couple of times, but I just never. I used to like Beverly Hills 90210, but I never got into Melrose Place. Okay. Now, do you. All right. So I said we we're going to have an embarrassing off. Yes. Uh, so do, what is 
the most embarrassing show, or I'll even say like if there's a movie you love or or any sort of media, it could be like a podcast you listen to or like some book or whatever. What's like the most embarrassing thing uh, that you can come up with? And then we'll see if I could top it. And then so you might not want to lead with your first one. See, I don't even know if there's that many things that I would do that. Well, so you went on reality TV, so you don't have the same level yeah, of sense I, I of mean, shame. I, yeah, I podcast about uh, the half the things that, you know, I, I podcast about people would be embarrassed. You know? so this I, is above average coolness, a 25 year old show. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, right. like the fifth and sixth Survivor podcast of the week. It's like, it's getting up there. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So I don't know if there's a show which I have like not ever revealed that I watch where I'm like sort of embarrassed to tell people. I feel like when wrestling was on when I was in high school, I would be like, oh, no, I don't want people to know I watch. Not like my friends. but I, mean, like, I used to watch wrestling in the 90s. I'm trying to. Th- okay. So what I remember my dad came in once when I was watching Dawson's Creek at like a very awkward point. Mm-hmm. He would just like make fun of me about that. But that's not my that's not my best one. I used to watch the show Sisters on Saturday nights. I guess I had like a really <laughs> wild social life, which was like it was like four like middle age or older women. It was like Susie Kurtz, Celia Ward. Yeah, I, was, I've seen most of Sex in the City, if not all of it. I've never seen I've never seen one episode of Sex. But in the City. you'll watch like these uh, <laughs> melodramas. Well, I don't watch them anymore. <laughs> um, I'm try- I couldn't really come up with like the most embarrassing thing mm-hmm. um, TV wise, but I- I'd say the worst is that I-, I read when I was a kid, I read every single one of my sister's babysitter club books. Oh, wow. And I didn't want people to know that probably until right now. <laughs> like I read like all oh, the Karen and the Dawn and the Stacy. I don't remember all their names, but yeah. So I- let's see if anybody could top that, that I that I'm a boy who read all the <laughs> babysitter's club books. Were they good? I, you know what? First, I'll tell you one of the most ridiculous things about yeah. them. And it's one of these factory things where it's like a team of like girls straight out of college that are writing them, which is a lot of like the young adult series, I mm-hmm. feel like. You know, just the lady, whoever, the, I forget the name of the, Anne and Martin maybe or something. Like they, she puts her name on it and then she just collects a check every month. Like it's probably one book a month. But it would be, you know, they'd have seven characters, seven main characters, and they would... uh they would have like maybe, you know, there would be each person. It was like an episode of Lost. Like each one was about one of them, mm-hmm. right? It would be like primarily Hurley, except instead of Hurley, it was like Karen or whatever. And then <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to detail about the Baby Sisters Club. And then the, the, the first like three chapters of every single book were just like reminding you who everyone was and every single person's family. Mm-hmm. It was like previously on Lost was like 20, one of the Big Brother shows. I think Big Brother Canada does that, right? Yeah, Big Brother Canada like has like 20 four minutes, minutes, like the first on. third of the show. <laughs> Or like, here's what happened in the last few weeks. Yeah. Um, and, and then like they would go to these meetings and they would, they would uh, you know, like just discuss like for an hour uh, who, you know, like every single kid. They would just have these like uh, massive meetings and then you could only call them when they're at their meetings. So this was another thing that wouldn't hold up in 2016. Mm-hmm. Like if you wanted a babysitter for that week, you need to decide between like 2.15 and 2.27 on Tuesday because <laughs> that was the only time they answered the phone at the club. <laughs> Wow. So if anybody could top my babysitter's club reading, I feel like that would be the winner. Yeah, I don't think I had anything like that, unfortunately. And uh, maybe that, uh, you know, my sister did not have a lot of media uh, lying around the house. She didn't have media lying around the house. Yeah. I, I mean, I, don't, I can't think of one book that my sister ever had or like uh, she used to watch Grease. She had that tape. <laughs> Other than that, yeah, she was, I don't she didn't I have really... a lot of she didn't have a lot of stuff lying around for you. And you didn't like wear her clothing or anything. Like <laughs> no. No. Okay. <laughs> That's a pretty. I have two lead. daughters, and they just put my son in. Like he wears, like you know, they put him in girls' clothes all day. Yeah, but he's young. 
Like I was. The oh only yeah, one. he doesn't know it's flying. But right, uh, right. you know, listen, they live in a post-gender uh, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so Jerry is talking with Elaine about all the different storylines on the Melrose Place, about how the, all the things they could have just uh, talked about. And Elaine says, oh, why don't you confess? Why don't you just confess to Sergeant Tierney about this? Yeah, it's really not that. I mean, it's, we have to put ourselves back in the 1995. She was like, how bad? I know this was considered a trashy show. The Fox Network was still kind of a joke, right? Mm-hmm. It was like really just the Simpsons and a lot of trash. Yeah. But still, like, I, like for, it couldn't have been that embarrassing. There was only four channels. Like, if you weren't watching that, you were watching, like, Unsolved Mysteries or something. There wasn't, like, that many options on the air. Yeah. And so they end up having a conversation where Elaine is taking a drink of something. I don't know if it's like a Snapple or a juice. And it's just, it just tastes terrible. She didn't shake it. And she's annoyed with shaking. She's tired of shaking stuff. Is this a thing, Akiva? I feel like for a very hot second in the mid-90s, you had to shake a lot of drinks. Yeah. Because it seems like, even in the episode, it's like so ignored. It's like there because one person had like a rant is like... You know, you must put this in the episode. I can't stop out, you know, but it, I don't think it I don't think it holds up. But I there was, I guess, a lot of shaking of the OJ. You needed to get the pulp off the bottom or something. I don't know. Yeah. OK. Uh, also, Elaine is going to make her move tonight with Robert. So more on that to come. OK, so here comes George and perhaps uh, and not even perhaps certainly the most iconic scene from this episode. And Akiva, am I being hyperbolic by saying that this is an all-time great Seinfeld scene. No, for sure. It's it's definitely in any sort of, you know, if another sh- if they were doing like 60 seconds of Seinfeld clips, you could probably see this just like an, you know, on if they were like talking about Seinfeld on a different show or something. It's definitely a very iconic uh, you know, moment in in the show. And I I don't know, I th- I feel like it should even be more famous in a weird way. Yeah. Which also we like to complain about the name of the of the episode. And I, I guess you can't name it the toupee just because like last episode was also kind of the toupee. Mm-hmm. But it, I don't think the beard, I, it, while it's funny, it's a funny concept. I don't th- I think it should be called the uh, the lie detector or something. Lie episode. detector. That's pretty good. Um, so from the moment George walks in here, I don't think that there is a wasted line of dialogue. Like just the pacing is perfect of she's bald. She's bald, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. And there aren't like a ton of classic scenes that are basically Elaine versus George. Mm-hmm. But here you're right that the, everything that they do is 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 100 percent here. Right. Uh, like bald, bald, like she's bald. <laughs> like just like the number of times they say bald, you know, or like they say it about like, you know, nine times in 30 seconds. Yeah, and, and also, like, we talk about how they, like, they have to tell the other members of the gang who didn't see things that the audience has already seen. And a lot of times that's just done for exposition really fast. Mm-hmm. But here they actually turn it into comedy. Yeah. And so Elaine wants to point out to George, do you see the irony here? You're rejecting somebody because they're bald. Uh, and <laughs> George is not getting it. And Elaine famously says to him, you're bald. And George's love, right? George's line is equally great, which was, I'm not bald. I was bald. And then she immediately goes to start swiping the thing. And he's like very protective of his like the, the hair piece. And then they wrestle. And then she finally grabs it and goes to the window and says, I don't like this thing. And here's what I'm doing with it. And famously throws it out the window and he has a great piece of physical comedy to where he goes and like dives out the window and the blinds fall down on him. It's a little bit like uh, when he 
when he's in the bathroom when the, they call for Vandalay Industries. Yeah, it's he's just on, right. He's down with his pants down. You know, it's um, yeah, it is really great. Uh, you know, they make it seem like realistic. Like, uh, yes, it's goofy that the homeless guy catches, you know, basically picks it up off the floor and puts it on his head. But it's such a classic scene. Um, I, you know, I, it is funny because I feel like she's like the voice of the audience where it's like George has all this self-confidence in this episode. It's like, where'd this come from? Yeah. And it's like, no more. <laughs> we, we end up, and then the homeless guy ends up, uh, picking the, uh, up the hairpiece and he, really no payoff to that other than the homeless guy ends up getting it. Uh, yeah, but just sort of tying up the homeless guy's story a little bit. I don't really see how. I mean, uh, it's not like the homeless guy gets like a job interview because he has a hairpiece. Well, now. that's true. Maybe in the deleted scene, like he becomes really successful. But I also feel like we had that with the suit, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that too similar to like, I got the job because of the suit, like Elaine's loser, uh, yeah. you know, the, the guy who would never leave? I guess so. Or maybe does she get a date? Should he like, uh, I feel like there's some sort of like upside. Oh, yeah. Home. What if he starts going out with the, with Kramer's girl? Mm, the bald woman? Yeah. Yeah, the bald woman. <laughs> She'll date a homeless guy as long as he has hair. As long as he has hair. <laughs> as long as he has that hair piece. <laughs> She's very attracted to that. It seemed like a very small piece also. Yeah. I am curious. I would watch like a behind the scenes of like how they how they did his hair. All right. Well, we go to Elaine and she's with Robert after the second night out where I guess they had to go. I don't know if they had just another date or they had some other function where she had to pretend to be his girlfriend. And she says to him, hey, would you like to come upstairs? Which. Right. Oh, it was uh, amazingly Elaine suddenly knows what it means. Hey, do you want to come upstairs? Like, right. uh, <laughs> like even though with uh, Tim Watley a couple of weeks ago, she did not no know idea. what that meant, but no. now she knows what that means. Yeah. There is a lot of, a lot of people by the steps of the apartment building and come upstairs jokes or come upstairs questions in the last two seasons. Yeah. And, and at this point they're friends. Like, I don't think they even need an excuse. Like even if she's not the beard, I feel like they have a good enough relationship that they would hang out. But she does mention that, you know, um, we were, you almost convinced me we were a couple. So it makes me feel like that they were at some sort of a function again. Right. No, yeah. But I'm saying like they've beco- they're becoming friends. And I do like, you know, so she asked them to, to change teams. I do like he, how specific he is that he's the starting shortstop. Right. But to me, I, I don't know if that metaphor works. Like uh, he seems like he knows exactly what she's talking about. He says he's the starting shortstop. I feel like that there are other baseball positions, I feel like, that might work better in the metaphor. Well, if he says pitcher or catcher, that's like offensive, no? Well, a shortstop means nothing to me. I don't know what that means. I'm, I'm the starting Well, shortstop. we haven't had a good shortstop in, in 30 years. I think <laughs> I don't know. Jose Reyes. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and she says, well, we need a shortstop real bad. Okay. So... Elaine, uh, we're I like how they talk about how these are teams with like eight people as opposed to like a few billion. Yeah, <laughs> like he's he's the starter. He's starting for the gay team. Yeah, like like Brad Pitt is a starting shortstop. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know if this guy. I, I don't know if there's some sort of a minor league where I'm being called up to the show next week. Oh, but, we're we're in independent leagues. We're we play for the Long Island Ducks. Right, right, <laughs> all right. So. George is back at Monk's talking about how he has a pretty famous line here where he talks about how it's the best thing that ever happened to him. He's back to his old self, totally inadequate, completely insecure, paranoid, neurotic. It's a pleasure. It's nice seeing George being a loser again. Honestly. I feel like that that's a line that I feel like is seen like a lot of like promos for Seinfeld. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So we end up with George. Maybe it was like in the Hulu stuff that was, you know, from uh, like a year ago. And so he's going to still see the bald woman. Well, according to him, him, he will. <laughs> yes. 
He's going to continue to see her. She, she had, had a, a nice skull. Nice I'm, skull. I'm, clean when I, when I date a woman, I'm very interested in how her skull looks. Yeah. Uh, and Jerry says, oh, you're like a bald again. All right. So Jerry is looking for help from George to get past the lie detector. And uh, George compares it to saying to Pavarotti, teach me to sing like you. Right. There's no way. I mean, which is kind of crazy because we've seen so many times, even recently, George come up with a caper for Jerry to pull off. I don't know why he can't like put him in the mindset of a liar, but I hear him. Yeah. But the parting advice he gives is just remember, it's not a lie if you believe it. Which is definitely how George lives his life. But yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if Jerry's going to be able to hack it. Okay. So we go back to Elaine with Jerry and she announces, I turned him. He defected. Uh, and she says, because she is a woman. She does kind of like this, like a uh, striptease type dance. Yeah. Ba-boom, chick-ka-boom. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it works like that. I don't know. I don't believe so. <laughs> if you're a woman, you could just convince any guy to do anything. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. And so she says he's the perfect man, nothing but uh, sex and shopping uh, for Elaine with Robert. So she seems convinced that this is going great. Um, we got another lineup. Kramer's back in there. And uh, Kramer is like like nodding his head, trying to point to another guy that Kramer thinks is probably the the perp. Yeah, and I feel like the same perps probably are there. Like you can't. How many times can you have the same guys in the same lineup? I don't know. I feel like you're always having different people. Yeah, but Kramer's there. He's like a regular now. This is his profession. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess if you have a lot of people going through there, maybe I don't really know exactly uh, how how it works. Um, let's go back to Jerry and the lie detector. He is getting grilled now by the lie detector guy. Yeah, I, I do love the questions. Like they start with the basics, like what's your name? Yeah, where do you live? And then immediately, did Kimberly steal Joe's baby? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he goes through all did Jane's fiance kidnap Sydney and take her to Las Vegas. Uh, Jerry is funny in the way I don't know. <laughs> I like the and if so, did she enjoy it <laughs> for extra credit? Right. Uh, and so finally, the question that causes Jerry to snap: uh, Did Jane sleep with Michael again? Uh, and he just goes nuts. That stupid idiot. Yeah, and leaves. So and it's funny because like she's played off as his girlfriend, but we never see her outside of the precinct. Yeah, I don't even know if we get her first name. Uh, no, the credits have it, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure we just hear her last name. And I, yeah. I. You know, like I saw like some ranking, you know, like a list of girlfriends and she was on it. But she speaks like two words in the whole episode. Yeah. All right. So we end up back at Jerry's apartment and uh, they're getting ready. It's Melrose Place night, I guess. And they all watch it together. And so uh, Elaine reports to Jerry that he went back. Yeah, that was fast. I feel like there there could have been another scene there. It was we're just like hearing that he's on the team, then he's not on the team. Well, I think what probably happened was that in Elaine's mind, everything went great, and probably not so much in Robert's mind. Right? Yeah, he was like, "Ah, oh, this is not for me. This is not for me." Right? And Elaine says that the thing is, being a woman, she only has access to the equipment for forty five minutes a week. On a good week, how could she be expected to have the same expertise as people who own the equipment? And again, that just goes back to this idea of, you know, people are gay because that that the same sex knows how to uh, manipulate the body in ways that a person from the opposite sex could not possess. Similar to like an earlier line in the series where it's like, you know, if you're gay, you double your wardrobe. <laughs> right, right. Uh, which I don't believe, I, I'm sure it doesn't hurt, but I don't think that that is the primary reason. No, especially since like you'd have to be, you know, the same exact size. Right, right. Uh, it's certainly not, 
then it doesn't make any sense why Jerry or Elaine would be straight. No, it makes no sense. Yeah. Okay. Right. They're, according to their logic, everyone should be gay. Yeah, everybody should be gay because, you know, obviously somebody who has the same genitals as you will know how to work them better. Ironically, the TV, like the watching TV, that's like the better argument for everyone should be gay. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like I, I want to watch sports with someone who wants to watch sports. Right, right. Because it would be much more convenient if society accepted for everybody to just be gay. Well, it, I think in general, you just want like... You want Adam Carolla used to have a bit where like they talk about like if your wife is your best friend mm-hmm. and he'd be like, I, he's like, I did the math and uh, Lynette is not in my top 45. She's like 47th or 48th. <laughs> <laughs> wow. and it's like, it makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, it, like, again, we should only have that many friends. <laughs> right. Friends, so we have to worry about like, like, even if you said like, oh, your wife is not your best friend, like she might be just by default. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> but it, you know what it is, but it does make sense. It's like, uh, you know, I like I, I could watch, uh, you know. I, you know, I could watch a thousand games and my wife will not come into the room. You know, she will not watch one with me. She's mm-hmm. never seen one right. second of Survivor. Right. Uh, so then they're getting into Melrose Place. George comes in. It hasn't started. And Elaine tells George she's proud of him because she admires what he's done, I guess, dating the bald woman and keeping the payoff. And George uh, seems uh, pretty incensed at this point. Uh, he got dumped by the bald woman. And again, like he forgets because he was on a high, like he's still below the bald woman. Like he's, you know, she is an attractive woman who happens to be bald. He is short, fat and bald. Yeah. He says, apparently baldy likes a slimmer guy. Yeah, And is that, is that like hateful towards bald people? I think so. I think so. Uh, baldy, I believe, is a derogatory term. Now, can George, as a bald person, oh, yeah, for use sure. the oh, word baldy? Oh, a bald baldy? person can say baldy, for sure, yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> what, if, what if he has a toupee? What if he's bald, but he's wearing the toupee? Can he say the word baldy then? Uh, I think so. I think, it, yeah. I think he identifies bald. Uh, he can say it. If, uh, But if he is, uh, I don't know. It's, tr- it's tricky <laughs> and above my pay grade. Okay, fine. Okay. I need a bald correspondent. So, Kramer ends up coming in and says, I'll tell you what I think. I think you blew it. You blew it and Elaine ruined it for him. Yeah, he should have kept it alive forever, basically. Yeah. And then basically we just sort of get out of all this like uh, Melrose Place is coming on and Jerry says he hates Michael. He's so smug. Yeah. And the tag afterwards is, is, you know, pretty uh, predictable also. Yeah. Which you knew was coming the whole episode. Right. The tag is that we have uh, the homeless guy comes back and identifies Kramer in the lineup, perhaps as Akiva theorizes that retribution for putting the dirty nickel in his hot cup of coffee. No, perhaps. I mean, Kramer didn't break into the jewelry store. <laughs> He's not the actual culprit here. Right. Okay. So then let's talk about this. Okay. The beard in terms of the episode, uh, anything else that doesn't, I mean, there's a lot here in terms of the gay stuff, the conversion in terms of the, uh, police lineup in terms of the we don't have a picture of this person what about in terms of uh, melrose place would jerry be as embarrassed like what is the 2016 equivalent of melrose place it's a good question i do i, I like i don't know if there is that like what if it was like a kid's show i'm i, I no, feel like i think that's be... that's a different thing it's like yeah. i mean if you it... watch like a lot of peppa pig <laughs> I, I often do uh, but, it's but, not. I don't watch it when my when my son isn't around. Sometimes I, I sometimes I like leave it on. Yeah. It's also I'll tell you like this is a good parenting tip. You know why Peppa Pig's so great, right? Why? Because the YouTube clips are just two hours straight of a show. Oh, okay, good. So if like my son's like on like if I don't let him watch so much, but if he's like if I have to work or something and he's in the room, you just hand him the phone with uh, with the YouTube app and it's two hours. 
two hours, boom. I mean, you know, he loses interest, but it's still, you don't have to, if you, if you give a kid a YouTube clip that's three minutes, then you have to switch it every three minutes. It's annoying. Or it rolls into something inappropriate a lot of times. You have to like be careful about the YouTube stuff, okay. right? Um, <laughs> oh, he goes, oh, my, my, my son's like, uh, you know, he's into all these related videos. My mom was here recently and, uh, you know, Dominic just has the iPad and he's going into related videos and she looks at the iPad and sees what he's looking at. And uh, it's a video about a toilet filled with live snakes. No oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he, this kid hasn't slept in weeks, probably. No, he doesn't get scared. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you have to watch your toilet next time. It's going to fill with snakes. That's scary. Okay, I've got it. So uh, 2016 Melrose Place, uh, Real Housewives of Various City. Yeah, but not Beverly Hills. Like one of the, like Atlanta, like one of the smaller ones. Right. Some sort of like Bravo type shows where it's like. Or, uh, like, or if you're like old enough, if you're in your 40s, like. Some really like teeny bopper CW show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like the new nine hundred two and zero, not I don't like something superhero related, like not like the Flash. Or no, because Arrow. I feel like that you could still pull off, even though I don't want to get into it again. But clearly, that's not my speed, right? But <laughs> but I, I do think it's like something uh, Bravo related. Yeah, I, I, it pretty much from the Bravo verse, right? Princesses okay. Long Island, right? Okay, so <laughs> let's get into uh, our letter grades uh, for this episode. What about Jerry here? Way that he's going through this Melrose Place shenanigans. Yeah, I'm going to give Jerry an A. I feel like it's such a it's such an awesome, you know, it, is it the funniest scene in the whole series? Of course not. But it, it is. I feel like this is one of the most original episodes of the series. Just like it is wacky. But the idea of like having him go take a lie detector test about a TV show he watches. And even the fact that they're like analyzing another TV show on the air was not something any other show was willing to do at that point. Now mm-hmm. it would happen. So I, I give him an A. Yeah, I'd say it's probably more of a B for me in terms of the storyline with uh, Melrose Place. It just seems like sort of like it's such an out of nowhere thing. Like, I don't really even buy that Jerry is watching Melrose Place. That's fair. Uh, okay, what about George with uh, the toupee and the bald woman? Yeah, and again, some of this loses its shock because, like, there's a big reveal the first time you find out. Um, but, you know, which, you know, having seen it a lot of times, like, you lose that. But I was... I was I'll give George an A minus. Also, I feel like it a is a minus. Oh, you know, I'll, I mean, okay, I, I just don't want to give everyone an A. Remember, yeah, my heart grader. Well, A plus plus in terms of George in this episode. Well, no, because I'm going to give Elaine the credit for that scene. I think. Oh, okay. Well, Elaine and the beard. I'm going to give Elaine an A because I feel like she's doing the hard work in that scene. Plus, she has a whole other storyline, which is you know a pretty interesting storyline. I'll give her an A as well that the stuff does not hold up from a political correctness uh, standpoint. And I think that a lot of her theories are incorrect, but it still was memorable and it's still funny. And I'll say, yeah, I'll, I'll give her an A on that. And what about Kramer here? Yeah. Kramer's got very little to do. I think he does like the, like Michael Richards does do a good job with, with the little he's given. But there's no great payoff for the the lineup thing or the other thing. But neither of them have. There's really not a bad scene in the episode, even if there's only one good scene. Um, so I'll give Kramer a C plus. Yeah, I think that's probably about right. I think I'd say it's more of a C, but there you go. All right. So finally, Akiva, where does this land in your rankings? Again, you know, there's one classic scene. I do like the Melrose Place stuff, even though it's not, it, you know, the way they shot it ends up not being nearly as funny as maybe could have been. Um, so I'm going to say this is like just a slightly above average episode and I have it at 85, 85. There you go. All right. Now, normally one iconic moment really carries an episode in your rankings. Yeah, but I don't know. I guess in, in my mind, maybe just because I've seen it so many zillions of times 
to me, it just it, it it's not like when I say iconic moment, it's like top thirty. But it's you know we're not talking like laugh out loud marine biologist. Or, it's not or, a top you know. five moment. No, it's not a top five moment. Okay, all right, Keith. We get our emails every week on the Seinfeld post show recap. Seinfeld at post show recap. So many. Of course, uh, the feedback is continuing to pour in from our 100th episode, from this episode. So where do you want to begin today? Uh, I think Liz has an email. Okay. Uh, in my favor, as I'm sure most of them are. You know, I, I feel like you, I, I don't think people were, were hard on you, but I'm not, I, you really didn't have a lot of people agreeing like, yeah, Rob, you give it to Akiva. He is a self-loathing nerd. So if that person's out there, you should know that Rob needs people on his side. Okay. I did, <laughs> between you and me, Yo, I did get an email. Oh, no. Yes. What? Someone's emailing you and not seeing me? Right. Right. Oh, uh, no. Somebody did email me. And I don't know if they want to remain anonymous. Well, so okay, this is, tell me what they had to say anonymously. Oh, okay. do you get a lot of those? Is it like... No, not often. Because like I did the Survivor podcast and everyone had such nice things. Are you getting dozens of emails saying never have a Kiva on again? No, no. Uh, uh, somebody sent me an email. I'll leave them anonymous because it was sent to me. Uh, okay. Just wanted to send positive affirmation uh, your way after listening to number 100. This podcast is definitely one of my favorites of the entire lineup. And Akiva okay, so is like, a massive nerd. That's it? That's all they had to say? <laughs> Also offered to be a college professor correspondent and a Harry Potter correspondent. Oh, oh, so Mr. Harry Potter expert calls me. Is this my dad writing in? My, <laughs> is your dad, my dad is a Harry. My dad is my dad. Like can like say like Harry Potter pages by heart. <laughs> my like my dad's a rabbi who doesn't like he doesn't go to movies. Yeah, he's been to the movie theater eight times in the last thirty five years. The eight Harry Potter movies. Wow, he is he is a super Harry Potter fan. Was he a fan of the books? Really, uh, before. Yes. Oh, he's a much bigger fan of the books. He loves the movies, but he's a much bigger fan of the books. I think he started it because like every kid was reading it. He, you know, he was a ninth grade. He is a, he's a high school teacher, but he was teaching ninth grade then. So like, you know, if you're teaching seniors, maybe it's less popular. But when it was when the books were coming out, I feel like he viewed it as like, I'm not going to watch, you know, like Dawson's Creek and, you know, whatever was popular then. Like, Did you get a lie detector? Did you get him on the poly? I'm not going to talk to the, o- you know, talk about the, the OC with them because I'm a rabbi. But I feel like this is like good kosher fun. Mm-hmm. So I think that's how he got into it. But he just became a much bigger fan than any of the kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. I can't believe it. He was a massive nerd. Make yourself known. <laughs> and stop sending Rob. And listen, if you're going to send... Uh, Rob anonymous emails. I want some anonymous emails also about Rob. <laughs> <laughs> well, you haven't given out your email address. Listen, it's my name at Gmail. You can figure it out. Okay. All right. So uh, why don't you start with Liz? Okay. So Liz says, Akiva, in my opinion, you're smart not to watch The Big Bang Theory. For many years, I heard it was funny and that I should watch it. I finally watched an episode because I was participating in a study with media science. I chuckled once during the show. I didn't understand the popularity. It wasn't funny. I had no desire to ever watch it again. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm here. My wife does love The Big Bang Theory. Um, Akiva appears to have good taste in TV. He should watch House of Cards. It's not classic TV, but it's entertaining. And you know what? Let me just speak to the Big Bang Theory. I've not watched it in a few years. That in the first few seasons, you think it changed a lot? You think they like now they're doing something totally different? I mean, I've definitely seen where they have like clips of like sort of just like rattling off like a list of nerdy words in a row and sure. sort of like yeah. I bet they're still doing that. Like a lot. When I pass the TV and my wife's watching, it's a lot of that. It's that or Mayim Bialik, who's insufferable. Right. Like a lot of like Mad Lib type. Uh, uh, sort of yeah. you know, naming yeah. oh, we off could write for them. if right. we were nerdy we, we have to be nerdier to like get the jokes but we could write for them right but i do feel like that in its inception i do think it started as a uh, a smart show 
with a good premise. Uh, and so she says House of Cards, but Chester also said uh, he was on my side for House of Cards. He says uh, it started off great, but it, it really careened off the rails and I shouldn't watch it. I mean, I think it's fun. I think it goes. It depends what you are expecting from she it. She says there's a lot of Liz says there's a lot of plot holes that she can't ignore. There are many plot holes. I mean, is it a top five? TV but also, drama? I've, no. I've explained why I don't watch it. You like Kevin Cards, Spacey. Right? I'm right. anti-Spacey. Right. If they kill off Kevin Spacey, let me know, and I'll start watching from there. Okay. I'll keep you posted. Andrew D., which is not Andrew, my childhood friend correspondent, wants to know, uh, which, sign, which Melrose Place series regular was our favorite Seinfeld guest star? Susan said, now, he has to provide the people, because obviously I, we don't know who's on Melrose Place. We didn't watch it. Mm-hmm. But Mulva, Susan Walters, the Mimbo, who we haven't seen yet. Oh, no, we have seen. Excuse me. Yes. Um, uh, Dan, Dan Cortez. Tazy? Tease? Cortez. Uh, Melanie Smith, who was in a bunch of episodes. Or she's Jerry's girlfriend from Schindler's List in the Hamptons. Uh, Marsha Cross, who's Pimple, Pimple Popper MD. And Kristen Davis. I assume that's the Kristen Davis from Sex and the City. Mm-hmm. Uh, who who uh, is the toothbrush girl in uh, the pothole. Who is our favorite out of this group? Uh, well, Melanie Smith is like, first of all, she's in the two of like the five most iconic episodes of the series. Yeah, but we kind of hated her in... Yeah, we um, were anti-Melanie Smith. I agree. Yes. Um... <laughs> I think Mulva is pretty. Yeah, pretty I think big. so. I think that she's probably the most iconic. She's in two episodes. Yeah, two episodes. She's Mulva I, I, in both episodes. Uh, also Dolores, but yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, and he says shout out to Jonathan Penner, who, who guest starred on both Melrose Place and Seinfeld. Okay, good for Penner. Thank you. All right, uh, Johnny D. Silvera wants to know how in the world does Kramer have George beating Jerry as the woman that Kramer wants to set up? Jerry's better looking fit has real hair not that there's anything wrong with bald and until recently jerry had a steady flow of income well did jerry just have a big hit in his income no i don't think so yeah I, maybe he just meant that jerry had way more income until recently where george has caught up to him okay do you think that johnny disavera is right that there's no way that jerry is a less desirable bachelor than george yeah george just like george with hair is a five and a half mm-hmm. like he's totally fine Jerry is like an attractive stand up like stand up comedian who goes on television. Yeah. Like if you want to say like George working for the Yankees and like I guess he does get credit. He did have a pilot on TV. You put bump him up to like a six and a half. But Jerry's like a legitimate celebrity. He's way above George in any power rankings. Yeah. Unless the woman was like a huge Yankee super fan. Yeah. If you, yeah, of course. But if she was like a Yankee groupie, then George would be the more desirable guy. But even without the hairpiece. Do you He's think like random people, like people working like the Mets or Yankees ticket office get groupies so they could, you know, sort of like get in, in with David Wright or something? Hmm. I don't know if necessarily like not that kind of groupie, but I think if there's a woman who's like obsessed with said sports team, I do think, hey, I am an executive for that team. I do think that that would mean a lot to that person. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about like NBA style groupies of like, you know, party no, in the hotel. Right. Right, right. Uh, not like the women that like wait wait around for the players. Thinking more of like a normal person, right? And you and you've already said there were there were no real survivor groupies when you were on it, right? Not that I knew of ever. <laughs> I'm sure the other guys on the show knew all about. Yes, it. other people may have encountered them, uh, but I I, I think that the, it, at that time I think there might have been just you know people who were sort of like uh you know milling about looking for people that were either famous or something like that but i i not so much of uh, the survivor super fans i did not i did it's not also think- funny like the like you know if it's if it's women looking for men it's groupies but if it was like men looking for women they're basically stalkers stalkers <laughs> right 
Right. I don't think I don't think like the the like the Heidi's and the Jennas who were on the show with you would have been like, yeah, I got all these groupies. It would be yeah. like, I have all these creeps. That no, I social media has really enabled the uh, you know people to be able to stalk easier. Like I don't think that there was really any of that. Yeah, which but works both ways. Like you may have had more, you know, when you were single, you may you know after your first season, you may have had uh, more people coming up to you or whatever. When like with the, the first day you're on the show, mm-hmm. if you were on Twitter. You might have like, hey, you yeah, know, maybe, I if, if, if I was too. on social media, maybe like maybe that, that yeah. one well, person yeah, would have been if able Twitter to find Twitter existed it. in right. 2003. Right. You just missed it. I just missed it. OK, uh, so this is from <laughs> Roger, who says this episode made me come to a realization. Elaine is obsessed with throwing things out the window. Off the top of my head, I could think of a $20 bill in the opposite. George's toupee in this episode and in an upcoming episode, Putty's fur coat. What gives? I think it's just her move. <laughs> is that her move? Buddy's got to move. I think Elaine's move is throwing stuff out the window. Roger thinks maybe it has something to do with her electronic organizer being thrown out the window by the Russian author. Could this be some kind of past trauma that shaped her into the queen of defenstration uh, that she is today? Roger, keep the words to like three syllables for us, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know all your big words. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I, I mean, did it start with the throwing the organizer out the window? <laughs> I, I don't know. I I kind of feel like, uh, did she throw the $20 bill out the window before or after the episode with the electronic organizer? I think the organizer was first. Yeah. Hmm. Very interesting. So, I don't know. It's a good no, question. No, no, no. Actually, the $20 bill was first. Okay. So, yeah. This is, throw that theory out the window. Uh, yeah, because the opposite comes before the marine biologist. By um, uh, and Liz also, uh, she wrote in twice. She wanted to know, uh, she had her thing for the embarrassing off which was uh, Teen Mom. She yeah. says that uh, she was embarrassed. She watched and she came to her senses. And then the other thing was Catfish, which, by the way, you know who gets catfished on the show, the audience, because there's no way you could... Ever, did you ever see an episode of Catfish? No. But, but I you know. know the premise. It's very basic, right? Yeah. The, the Catfisher is the one who contacts MTV. Yeah. Like, because there's no way to do the show with people who you don't know if they're being catfished or not. Yeah. I, like, uh, literally, it's the most scripted show on television. Mm-hmm. You're revealing that? No, I think this is, it's just like intuitive, but I've read this before. Like there's, there's no way you could do it other than that they know, first of all, like the person could be a murderer. There's no way that legal would ever clear them to do this. Right. But yeah, like you can go as like, I think someone's catfishing you, but for auditions also, you can go as like, Hey, I'm the catfisher. And then they work backwards pretending not to know what's happening, but they know the whole time. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, um, I think a lot of these contrived reality TV situations, I don't think you're really, uh you know, uncovering anything here. I think, I, I feel like that's like pretty common knowledge, right? No, I think the people who watch that show think it's real. Yeah, but. And they should know. Yeah, it's definitely not. And, and also his documentary, the movie, I feel like now that is probably fake. Probably, probably. Uh, right. All because of Manti Teo. He blew up the whole thing. He did, he did. It was, well, he didn't do it. I guess <laughs> the person who catfished him probably blew it up. <laughs> you never, you don't, you know, he's still in the NFL. You really hear very little about Manti Teo considering like he's still around. Right. Right. He did a good job. He doesn't have a lot of like endorsement deals. He did a good job of staying under the radar. <laughs> yeah. The was key that, is to go to San Diego where no one cares. Yeah, was the key to not be that good at football? And that's yeah, why. Yeah, the key was to be like slightly below average. But not cut. And then go to a city that doesn't even want their team anymore. Like if he was in New York, he'd still hear stuff every single day walking down the street. Right. Okay. Uh, what about James with the bad wedding story? He says, hi, guys. My wife did running of the brides a few years ago. Oh, Do you know what that is? Because I don't. Uh, no. Is it like it? you go to like. Like uh, Pamplona or whatever. I thought it was like some sort of Bridge Street run, like uh, sort of like we do, like a shot at every. You want to single... Google running of the brides while I read the rest of the story? Okay. 
uh, a few years ago, and he and he said that uh, he told she told her her uh, friends, I guess, that if they went with her, they'd get uh, uh, they would be guaranteed a spot in the bridal party. It turned out to be a horrible idea. One of the women that went, his wife only knew casually, and she ended up backing out of being a bridesmaid after only three weeks. They haven't spoken to her since. The second woman backed out because she was too broke to afford the necessary dress. A week later, she booked a trip to Hawaii, causing a major fight with my wife. Oh, I could hear that. Mm-hmm. So she was too broke for the dress, but then she wanted to go to Hawaii. Right. The lesson in the wedding party, uh, being in the wedding party is basically something you handing, uh, someone's handing you a $300 bill for coming to the wedding. No thanks. $300. That's before we even get to like the, yeah, the present. Yeah, sure. Right. And forget uh, about the destination wedding. And stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm anti-weddings. I think I'm over weddings. Yeah. I'm going to try and get my, like, I have to make a bat mitzvah in a year and a half. Yeah. Well, try and like keep it to oh under god. five people. Oh my god! Um, by the time you guys hear this, I will have been the best man in uh, my sister in law's wedding this Friday. And this is your fir- is this your first time in a wedding party? Uh, no, I've been in uh, three previous wedding parties. Actually, no. I, and then I was a wedding uh, in the wedding party for my brother in law also. So I guess that this is and three. Be- when you say three, that's like college buddies. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I, look at you. Yeah, so I did have in college that I had uh, a couple of, a couple of close friends uh, that I was in all of their wedding parties, and they were in mine. And uh, then I also had my uh, brother-in-law. Do you still speak to your college friends? Not that often. Text sometimes. Okay. Uh, so, so what's the running of the brides? Do we have an answer? Uh, so the running of the brides, according to Wikipedia, is kind of like a big sale for wedding dresses. The running of the brides is a one-day sale of wedding gowns garnering local media attention because of the sight of hundreds of brides-to-be scrambling for bargains a local's tradition at Filings Basement in downtown Boston, the ROTB has also been held at Filings Basement in Atlanta, Chicago, Cleveland, Columbus, L.A., New York, Washington, D.C., and Westchester County. Oh, so I would, that wouldn't have been one of my first hundred guesses that the running of the brides is literally running to snag wedding dresses. Yeah, the store stocked thousands of gowns for that day and marked them down drastically and were non-returnable. The prices ranged from 249 to 699 marked down from retail prices as high as $9,000, while the prospective brides and their hovering mothers, sisters, and friends lined up the night before the doors opened at 8 a.m. So it's almost like sort of like a Black Friday Walmart situation. So it's I like think. a White Wednesday. Right. And I think that you have like your other friends who are like offensive linemen, like throwing blocks. Oh, so blocks. I was wondering what the... Br- oh, so that's what she bribed them to basically be her DeBrickishaw Ferguson's. Right. And not retire. And then she, and then she basically DeBrickishaw <laughs> Ferguson. Yeah. She uh, retired and then took her money and left. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, uh, yeah. I, I would want to go just to see it, but maybe I'd like check it out on YouTube. Right. I wouldn't. They should cover go. it on ESPN. Oh, for oh, this, by the way, it would get like a 5.0 rating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what they should do also is they should have like a cam on like a few. There's like a few like really nice dresses hidden in the store. You don't know where they are. Right. But they're like $5,000 dresses that are on sale for like a few hundred bucks. Yeah, I think and so. And then like, but you just like throw them down from the rafters and like see what the, the you know, I feel like a lot of these dresses literally get torn apart. Blood sport. Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> I actually now I'm interested in running the brides. Yeah. All right. James, for your second, your second uh, marriage, we'll go together. <laughs> um, okay. Um, Chester, last email. You want to read Chester? Yeah, Chester says, uh, when George says the line, with my personality and this head of hair, since when does George claim to have a good personality? George's personality is much more offensive than his baldness. In this very episode, he is referred to as having one of the most deceitful, duplicitous, deceptive minds of our time, and he even describes himself as totally inadequate, insecure, paranoid, and neurotic. I do think on the first impressions, though, his personality, he's very good at schmoozing. I think that's uh, on the surface. Yeah, and George doesn't have a good perception of, of whether he has personality or not. Yeah. Uh, Chester wants to know, do you think that Kramer's composite artist friend might have come up earlier? 
Yeah, I mean, it does seem very random. But listen, I don't know if it was canon before this episode. It just very clearly like we need a way to get us into the police station here. Yeah. Jester seems confused by this whole subplot with the homeless guy. He wants to know, why does Kramer apologize to the homeless guy? Isn't Kramer still mad at him? In fact, even more so since he has nowhere to put his casserole. So, yeah, because neither of you guys get it. The apology is facetious. And it's just so he, the homeless guy doesn't realize what happened until Kramer's already a few steps ahead. So doesn't run after him and beat him up. Yeah. And finally, Chester wants to know, literally, the last episode, we established that George is the worst liar. He has no poker face. And one episode later, he's being treated as the Pavarotti of beating a lie detector test. Is there any way you can reconcile these two things, Akiva? It is a great question. Right. Uh, even, even a blind virgin gets one uh, right once in a while. Um, <laughs> I, think, uh, I think here's the thing. He has a bad poker face. But with the, the lie detector test, we don't care about the face. What, what matters is what's in your heart. So if George can just slow, right? Don't they say you just slow down your heart race? Your heartbeat, your heart rate, right. whatever. So I feel like if George can convince himself, that's why his philosophy is it's not a lie if you believe it. So if he believes that he's telling the truth, he won't be nervous. So I feel like he'd have a better chance of being a lie detector test than a human being in poker. Yeah, I do think that there is something subtle here to the difference between having a secret and not being able to keep a secret and also having a lie that you are trying to tell people. Like, I think that for George, he can say, oh, I'm actually an architect or I'm actually, you know, this or this. Or he could lie about himself, but he maybe can't hold in somebody else's secret. Yeah, I think there's maybe a distinction there. He can misrepresent himself. He cannot hold on to any information from another person. Okay, fair. Okay, so maybe sort of like inwardly, he can protect his own lies, but he can't protect anybody else's lies. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sounds All right, good. All right, Akiva, what's coming up next week? Next week, we got the kiss hello. The kiss hello. Okay. So we'll see. We got Nana again. We got Uncle Leo and, the, and <laughs> Jerry's parents back in the picture. Yeah. Okay. So that's going to be next week on the podcast. What's the hashtag today? That's a good one. I didn't write anything down. Yeah. And I, for the 100th straight episode or 102nd straight episode, I forgot to write something down also. <laughs> All right. So what is it from either we have the the george storyline the melrose place storyline uh, it has to be babysitter's club right okay fine yeah babysitter's club is good okay can right. you beat yeah and it tweeted us or, or emailed us can you beat my babysitter's club see it's funny because i just spent two episodes swearing that i wasn't a nerd and then they had the babysitter's club reveal is it babysitter's club or babysitter's keeve oh fine babysitter's <laughs> keeve that's, that, that's fine okay and by the way big big uh big social media news i don't know if you know about this what is it but the last time we did uh, we did a podcast, mm -hmm. uh, I had uh, 561 followers. Okay, that's pretty good. Then I went on a more popular podcast, mm -hmm. and some would say I groveled <laughs> yes. for followers. You know, but it was fair. I said I had the least followers of anyone in the in the rap verse, the rap kingdom, mm -hmm. which was true. And now it's no longer true. Yes, because even every second, even as I say this, I get new notifications with more followers. Okay, wow, something which has never happened before. And what do you so up I went to? from five sixty one to right now as we record this, I have seven oh five. Okay, and we are recording this here on April eleventh. So who knows what it will be by the time people listen to this? Oh, I could, I could be in the millions. I could be verified. Yeah, or or like at, at least eight hundred. I feel like you know how they say. That, you know, when you have one million, you just want to make more millions and stuff like that. Is that, that what it is? I think if I just get up to a thousand, I feel like everything in my life will be fine. <laughs> All right. <laughs> if I just get a thousand followers. What if you got I, ahead I of your sister? having any problems. No, I'm, I'm not going to hit my sister's already at like 4,000. I can't hit that. Okay. All right. 
All right. You could follow Akiva on Twitter. He's at Keeve 26. Also, you could listen to Akiva on the 32 fans podcast. Uh, what are you talking about these days? Well, I think uh, we're going to do uh, the uh, NBA playoff preview this week. And then next week, we're doing our 100 greatest TV shows of all time. What? Uh, how are you going to do that? I have a list. And Chester has a list. And I'm going to go through it. What is that going to be? A 10-hour show? I mean, well, I mean, I feel, I feel like we won't we won't spend a lot of time on 93 or something. Listen, if we have to make it two parts, we'll make it two parts. Wow. And you both have the 100 greatest TV shows. But there's so many shows I that made, you didn't watch. I, yeah, but over time, I feel when I was a kid, I watched a lot of TV. What if like Star Nick Trek The Next Generation is the 83rd best TV show of all time? I've never watched one episode. How could it be on my list? So so it's just your personal 100 It's greatest. stuff that I've watched. Okay. I, I have to have seen, I, like, let's say there's a show that's only had one season. Let's say Master of None. Okay. That will make it. But it, but for other shows, I feel like I have to have watched at least two full seasons of it. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see uh, where it all comes together and what's what's on Keeve and Chester's list and see how many. So you could make in. your own, Rob. You could, you know, when, I'm sure you have plenty of free time. You're you're on the airplane with nothing to do. You could make your own top hundred list. No, I'll be. Uh, this will be me on the airplane. Stop doing it. Stop that. Stop. 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 <laughs> stop, stop. 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 You pretend to be working, stop. but you're okay. really. Be, I'm gonna really get mad. Be I'm gonna get mad. And you want me to yell? Do you want me to yell? I'm gonna you know yell. what the power move is, Rob? What's that? Uh, just get one first class ticket, <laughs> one business class ticket and say uh, it, it's my name only. Uh, it's a fan border for me. <laughs> I was so happy that my wife was really, really upset. She booked the reservations. And I don't know what site we did it from. And she was like frantic. She was like, we're all in different seats. None of our seats are together for the reservation. I was like, oh, man, that sucks. Uh, and I'm like, boy, I really feel bad. Whoever is in Dominic's row. Uh, that's really going to be, uh, they're going to have a, <laughs> a really terrible flight. What about the baby? Oh, I guess he doesn't get his own seat. I guess uh, he, he'd probably sit with my wife. So I'd be in my own seat. Or what if, what if you teamed up the two kids to really scare away everybody? <laughs> like, Dominic, you're in charge of the baby. Yeah, put him on his side. And then like everyone in their row leaves and then you're, you're set. Then you have your own right. seat. Well, I said to Nicole that I hope that the people in Dominic's row can change diapers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so. if the seatbelt sign is on, then you, you can't leave. <laughs> right, right. So, all right. So uh, thanks so much to Scott St. Pierre, who does a great job editing these shows. Thanks to Mike Moore, who writes the recap. Thanks to you guys who listen to the Seinfeld uh, recap podcast. We always appreciate that. Also, we appreciate your star ratings and feedback on our iTunes page at postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. Akiva, anything else? Uh, no, I just, uh, how worried are you about the Mets on a scale 1 to 10? Again, it, it's April 11th. They will have played probably twice as many games as they have now by the time you guys listen to this. So I'd say on a scale of 1 to 10, I am worried a 3. Yeah, but if they're 2 and 8 when you're listening, we're worried at a 10. 10. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye.